Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. Today, I am super excited. Well, first, I'm excited to be back because I was on a bit of a staycation for a while. So we kind of had a hiatus on our podcast while I was doing my staycation. And today is my first day back in three weeks. And I am thrilled to have Michelle Baumberger. She is the owner and managing attorney at Equinox Business Law Group. She is out here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest with me. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Elise. It's great to see you. You as well. I am so excited to have you. I love being able to talk to another business owner who's literally like also at the same stage in parenting life too. So I kind of love that. Tell us a little bit as we get started, who is your family? I always like to start with that. Like who makes up your home? What does that all look like? Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, my husband, Matt. Matt is a finance and data science guy. So he's actually currently working on our firm's data platform, data modeling, so we can get better reporting out of Clio, which is the tool that we primarily use for our systems. So definitely a a godsend in in multiple ways in the family. (laughs) And then I have an almost 19-year-old son who's a freshman in college, a 17-year-old daughter who is uh, here in high school. And then our three cats, all three of which my husband would prefer not to have in the house, but they have, they have come through various, various channels and uh, they are beloved by the rest of the family. So it's sort of a balancing act. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. You know, my husband in his infinite wisdom before we got married, told me that he was allergic to cats. I do not know exactly if I believe him or if his allergy cured itself when we landed with him with our three cats. And I was like, Hmm. I don't notice any allergy signs here. <laughs> it, was, it was a good good attempt on his part, it sounds like. <laughs> That's what the kids all think. They were like, yeah, that was a good old college try, huh, Doug? <laughs> um, but it didn't work. So, yes, we too are a big cat family. We also have big dogs as well. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Well, I really want to talk to you and dig in. I mean, first, I'm super fascinated about the husband who does some data analytics in the background. We're going to have to talk about that. I too use Clio. And I think every one of us Clio users can attest. I mean, there's always some improved reporting that needs to happen. So, wow, that is super helpful. And did I read somewhere that you and your husband owned a restaurant or two restaurants as part of in your life journey together? We did. Um, Back in 2006, uh, we opened the first one uh, in downtown Bellevue. Wow. And um, then the recession hit and we were located in a hotel. And interestingly, we were required to be open breakfast, lunch and dinner, which is very hard when the hotel is at 10% capacity during the recession. So anyway, we we had an interesting, amazing learning experience and adventure through that, but definitely not lasting I would encourage folks to read Anthony Bourdain's uh, Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. Uh, 
great insight into the reality of, of the restaurant business. Awesome. Great information. I'm actually going to have to pick that up because I'm always thinking, I'm going to just open a little restaurant, you know, out here on the Hood Canal and it'll be, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I can just, you know, cook my crawfish etouffee and, you know, it'll all be good. Although with your, with your crawfish etouffee, that might be just enough. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. Well, I will definitely pick up that book because I think, I think we all have, you know, we all kind of make things seem better than they are. Do you know what I mean? The grass oh, is free. Yeah. And I think hospitality is just one of those things that always just sounds, you know, we, we all want to be part of that community, right? You want to be a part of, of that kind of people want to come like cheers and, and yeah. uh, hang out. And, and it is, I think, a really nice inspirational dream. But the reality of it is a lot of hard work. It is. Yeah, it really is. Well, let's talk about just entrepreneurship in general. I mean, I would love to get like some of your, you know, real unique experience. Cause I mean, you've been on this journey. Tell us how long have you owned Equinox? Almost 20 years. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> you've been on this journey quite a while. I mean, I mean, so your children were super little when it started. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about this in, in preparation for some of the questions that um, you were asking and you kind of think, well, was the firm kind of, you know, spurred on by the fact that I had little kids or was it going to happen anyway? And I, and I don't really know the answer to that. So I was at AT&T Wireless in their internal audit group. And um, when Singular acquired them, it really was not clear whether they were going to move everything to Atlanta, which is where their headquarters was, or whether it was going to stay here in the Seattle area. And I worked towards an amazing woman at the time. And, you know, she said, you know, you've talked about this, this law firm idea, like this is, this may be the time. And right. I had a one-year-old at home and um, soon thereafter found out I was pregnant with my second. And so, you know, many of us, I think, start our firms as like this experiment, like, let's just see if it works. I think it was a little of that. <laughs> I did have business background that brought me to kind of, okay, what is the niche that I'm going to play in? And the business law niche was very much kind of where I started. How do we create more transparency for legal services for smaller businesses? How do we create it to be more affordable, more practical? So that was the underlying business model. But I think ultimately it was an experiment with my, um, you know, one-year-old and, you know, soon to be <laughs> newborn. <laughs> I think people on this podcast can relate. Absolutely. Well, that's why I asked because we have people, listeners who I keep up with regularly who are, I mean, all different stages. I mean, people with literally babies that were born three weeks ago to people, you know, who like you and I have these older children that are launching into the world, a completely different stage. I mean, what was one of your biggest takeaways when yours were littles and you were dealing with itty bitty ones? I mean, did your office provide you the flexibility you needed? Was it really hard? I mean, what, how did you handle that? Well, it was just me. So, you know, that was what it was. And what I, what I remember was I got out there, started, you know, networking, kind of trying to build my brand and, you know, and I remember from my marketing classes, you know, it takes about six months to be present in the market before people remember you and you start to kind of get some of those first clients and it was right as I was getting those first clients that I had my second child and took like three months off. So, so I kind of, you know, got some momentum and then, and then kind of took a step back for a little while. With my second, I did have a nanny, you know, come in so that I could get some hours of work done during the day. And it was very, very flexible. And then my older one, again, he was only, you know, what, a year and a half, almost two. 
was at daycare at the time. And so that was sort of my balance. But I didn't have a lot going on. I mean, it was really a new business. And so there was a ton of flexibility in, you know, how much I actually wanted to work and what I wanted to make happen during that time. Right. And as they grew and grew older and went to school and all those extracurriculars, did you utilize your business in a way to really bring that flexibility to your family? Yeah, I think that um, my the biggest thing that I remember, and many of you probably can relate to the fact that, you know, I don't remember a lot during those years. <laughs> um, but what I do really remember was a commitment to pick them up after school. And yeah. so... Um, I was, I was thinking, I remember knowing exactly how long it took for me to drive from my office to the school in order not to get the phone call being like, Hey, yeah. you to get them. Yep. <laughs> like if I was there by three seventeen, it was perfect. So that was a commitment that I, that I made was I would go pick up the kids, take them where they needed to go make dinner. And then if I needed to work in the evenings, I would work in the evenings. And, and I think where there was a big shift for me was when I hired that first employee who could take Right. stuff from three to five, because there was always, you know, do I answer the phone? Do I not answer the phone? Do I, you know, try to get some work done? Do I not? And so that first employee who could handle that, I think was a huge, huge, maybe comfort and release for me to be right. able to, to feel okay. Um, and not so torn about those hours. Right. Well, it's true. It's a real, I mean, I think it's a real struggle that we, you know, we juggle and we are and it's mostly women still. I mean, the stereotype, you know, is that we women take on a lot of this labor in and around the home. And I think the statistics, you know, bear that out, that we do still carry the bulk of that kind of second shift or the invisible workload or, you know, all this this stuff. Well, and you talk about, I mean, it just, it makes me laugh, but also a little bit makes me cry this thing of, you know, going to pick up your child and literally timing it down to the minute. I mean, that was me like, you know, can I get in right and be that last car in line before they put the kids into the office and be like, okay, your mom didn't come, you know, (laughs) (laughs) all the years that I have dealt with kids. And I mean, it's been a lot. I have forgotten mine once. I literally sat at a mediation. Here I am out in Marysville or something. So like pretty far from home. Doug happened to be out of town. And I don't know what happened. I just dropped the ball completely. Like I made no plans. I'm literally sitting at the mediation. And all of a sudden I get a phone call from the school. And it's like six o'clock at night. (laughs) And they were like, well, you didn't pick him up. But we put him in the aftercare, but the aftercare is closing. And and they said, but he told us that his big brother plays football. So we called the high school and we got your other son off the football field and he's driving here to come pick him up. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I'm literally in a mediation as a guardian ad litem. Talk about the I was like, I can't do this job anymore because obviously I just forgot my child. So anything I've said, y'all need to like take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if that ever happened, I'm sure my children can probably attest to it, but I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I, I have never lived that down personally ever. I mean, that is horrible. Like, but I mean, I know I can't be the only mom who's done that. Do you know what I mean? And you just think about all the things we're juggling. And I mean, when you're opening a new business and doing all the things you're trying to do, I mean, tell us a little bit how 
Equinox, I mean, very specifically helps people in this situation. I mean, because your firm is going to take away some of that chaos, I would think, as a business owner. Yeah. So I, I guess I would put that in two different buckets. You know, one would be for our team, right? So really encouraging, you know, flexibility in their lives. Right. Uh, and while it's still career in law, you know, ultimately it doesn't have to be brutal and it doesn't have to be, right. you know, this home or work. So, you know, we hope that we're doing a good job with that as far as allowing, you know, and we've always allowed flexibility even before COVID and now even more so with a kind of a hybrid work environment. So that's one, I think, as far as helping people kind of live their lives in a way that is, is um, prioritizing the things that they want to prioritize. Right. And then the second, I think we were, we were um, getting at was for business owners and whether those are, you know, law firm business owners or any other business owner, um, how do we give them the legal tools to grow their business proactively? And so Equinox provides a general counsel for small businesses. So the good thing is, is a lot of people on this, on this uh, podcast know about what a general counsel is. We have a lot of education to do with business owners because it's not something they're very experienced with. But when you think about why Microsoft has many, many, many general counsel, it's not necessarily the firefight. That's a piece of it. But a lot of it is that strategic thinking that what if we do this? What does that mean legally? What are the legal implications? What are the risk implications? And then what are the tactics that we need to put in place to support that? So for small businesses, you know, the questions around what if we, or how do we right. getting them to think ahead, they normally wouldn't call, right? They're trained to minimize that legal expense at all costs. Just like only call if you absolutely need to. Well, how much time are they spending, you know, trying to figure out on Google what the answer to the long-term right. care act is, right? Or what does it take to, you know, hire an employee in Texas? Like they don't, you know, right. they have stuff that, that is familiar. And so the amount of time they're spending on that is, is really high. So that's a good example. I mean, you get into contracts, you get into lease negotiations, you get into corporate governance, all those things that just take time. Mm-hmm. If they can just throw it over the fence and know that it's all covered on a fixed price, I think to your point, it saves time from them and their team to be able to do the things that are their priorities, um, which hopefully is picking up their kids on time. <laughs> right. Exactly. I just think it's huge. I mean, when you mentioned that strategic thinking, I mean, what are some of the biggest strategic misses, you know, that you've seen where people have just kind of, you know, oops, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now the, the really big one is uh, multi-state hiring because during COVID it kind of opened the floodgates to, yeah. Oh, I can hire someone anywhere. And most um, employers don't realize that there are, you know, depending on the state, many steps to getting registered and many requirements to what that employee needs to receive as far as, you know, poster. I mean, some states, you still have to mail them a physical poster to hang in their virtual office. You know, no one thinks to do that, right? Uh-huh. Um, and what kind of registrations with the state, what kinds of policies, handbook updates, that kind of stuff. So that's a big one right now that we're cleaning up for a lot of folks who I just kind of went gangbusters with this opportunity to find talent anywhere. And so the repercussions of that. The other thing I think we see a lot of are when when folks have taken a step at some point in their businesses' lives and they want to take another step now, there's no continuity of representation. So they've talked to a lawyer 10 years ago about this and they got some document put in place and they come to me and they say, could you do this? And we're like, yeah, we can do that. And then if you ask the right questions and if you go you know, dig down the right, the right rabbit holes, you then find out, oh, wait, these two things are inconsistent. Right. Um, 
And so those kinds of, I think, strategic misses are, are really important because the client wouldn't necessarily connect the dots on those things because right. they're not related um, unless you kind of know that to ask the questions that they're related. So the strategy, I think, is, is fascinating because it's not only risk, which is how lawyers are perceived. It's really about how we balance the risk and the opportunity. Right. And the, the blind spots that I think we can uncover on opportunity are just as important as blind spots on risk. Absolutely. Oh, I just, I mean, I think of all the conversations I have, like some with, you know, a liability type attorney, some with an employment attorney, you know, all those different and thinking about insurance. I mean, I was literally that attorney that I literally just found out about, and I'm going to forget the acronym. I think it's called EPLI, you know, like didn't know about that kind of insurance. Like, wouldn't that have been helpful for somebody in all the people I've talked to all these years to have mentioned that? But And, and the industry has really, um, you know, encouraged people to think about lawyers in these, these you know, swim lanes or silos, right? Silos, yeah. And um, I really believe that the generalist is an incredibly valuable role in, in the business. There's a book by David Epstein called Range, which talks about the benefits of the generalist versus specialist in, in a lot of different categories of uh, professions. But from, you know, from our, our you know, like myopic view of, of lawyers, the idea of being able to sort of see almost like a general practitioner in, as a doctor to see and understand kind of how these things all fit together. And if I know your history for five years and that you have, you know, you've been training for a marathon and that you've historically had high blood pressure and that you had this surgery three years ago, when you come in with a symptom, I'm going to react to that differently than if this is the first time I've ever seen you. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it makes such a difference. And I love that you're also really innovating and doing it on a fixed price. I mean, that I think, I think a lot of lawyers are pretty terrified, you know, of going to that fixed price model. I mean, what did you at some point do things on a billable model and then switched or have you always been fixed price? Yeah, part of the the mindset when I first started was to do as much as we could fixed price but it was more project-based fixed price, which is more predictable, right? Like I know what it takes to set up an LLC. I know what it takes to draft a shareholders agreement. And so for the first 10 years or so, we did a mix of, you know, time and materials, hourly and fixed price. And it was about uh, 10, 10 to 12 years ago, we kind of rolled out the initial versions of this general counsel model, which is intended to be an all-inclusive fixed price. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, a little bit harder because business doesn't go in a straight line. And so- Sure. Today, it sounds like this is the right number, but two months from now, when the business takes you know this hard left turn, what do we do then? And so a huge uh, success factor in this model is that transparency of the conversations with the clients. It's like, well, things have changed. Mm-hmm. What do we want to change? Do we want to change the product scope? Do we want to change the pricing? Do we want to change the timeline? What do we want to change in order to kind of keep right. keep the things that we wanted to tackle, but also add in these new things that need to be tackled at the same time. And so I understand why why it's scary and intimidating because it sometimes feels like the, the upside is all the clients, the downside is all is all ours. And so building a model that sort of balances those things right. I think is um, the hard part. And then understanding what it actually takes and what are the variables. So, you know, I go back to kind of the RPCs, which talk about you know, the reasonableness of the pricing. Well, if you know the client asks tons and tons and tons and tons of questions, right? then your estimate for what it's going to take to do that fixed price just has to be 
and then a couple higher. hours later, you just that's the reality. It's not right. their fault, but it's the reality. <laughs> so, right. so I think experience and, and testing and experience is a, is a big part of making it work. And is that something you used your reporting to help like really dig in and figure out like what was the profitability of it? I mean, how did you kind of glean that, you know, using your experience, but how did you get the data you needed to really see? Yeah. So we have, we have years of, you know, the the things that we do all the time, right. Mm -hmm. Again, setting up entities, drafting certain kinds of documents, and so that's our baseline. So we have kind of the low number that's pretty, pretty easy. It's the variability on the high end that is more difficult. Right. With our model, because it's not just one project, we have both an opportunity and a risk in right. the upside and the downside. So if something, one thing takes a little longer, presumably something else might take less. And kind of watching the trends for that particular client is a big part of it. So data is is helpful, but it doesn't replace the judgment of the, sure. of the team who knows who they're actually talking to. And right. so it's a, it's a mix of the two. Yeah, because I kind of, I mean, as a consumer of that type of product and whatever, like it to me, it would feel better if I really did feel like they did understand what our communication would be. Because you don't want to, as the consumer, feel guilty every time you're reaching out. Do you know what I mean? Like somehow right. that you're taking advantage of the situation. You want to feel like it's this, I think, mutually fair you know, arrangement where you can ask the questions you have and, you know, get the answers you need and know that it's all kind of in line with what you had worked out. So I love the idea of having those transparent conversations too, if you're seeing a change or some kind of diversion from what was expected. Yeah. And we do try not to make it about hours because as soon as you start talking about hours, people start feeling either guilty or they start saying, oh, well, we won't call for this because we want to save that time for something else. Whereas if it's simply just, you know, we, we want we want to manage this within some range and we'll let you know if the range is out of whack on the high end or the low end, right. just encouraging them to call because that's a, that's a big part of our obstacles is training people on how and when to use lawyers because totally. they do it. So we want them to call. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I find this fascinating as somebody who's done a lot of hiring. I've also let people go, like dealing with my employment attorney. I mean, I'm a caller. Like I tend to call, I mean, you know, Washington, we got some pretty crazy laws out here on all the things. So I never want to, you know, go to the left of the laws or whatever. Like I try to just make sure I'm doing the right thing. And it's gotten to the point now where my attorney, she'll be like, you do not need to call me on this. Like, you got this, Elise. She's like, you are ready for employment lawyer, you know, 201. And I'm like, okay, good. But you know that it's that one time where you don't think of something. Do you know what I mean? And and so I feel like there's always something you can walk into that you do not want to be walking into. So I tend to just be, I'm going to just send it by her again, you know, just to be certain. Yep. Am I missing something here? And employment is, is one of those areas that you can easily miss something. Oh, I mean, it is a complicated area, I would say. Yeah. 
The Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG automation workshop. At this next exclusive guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you before you even leave Austin. Join the guild today and grab your ticket at maxlawevents.com. Well, tell us, I mean, you mentioned the one book range. Do you have other books that you would recommend for entrepreneurs, you know, ones that have really stuck out for you and helped you in your journey? We uh, we run our business on something called EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. And that is based on a book called Traction. Um, and it's a methodology for you know, communication and management within a business. And many, many, it looks like you're familiar with it. I imagine a lot of yeah. other listeners are familiar with it. We found that to be incredibly helpful from, I guess, I think more even communication than anything else, because it centralizes the conversation. So it's not the game of telephone across the company. It's okay. You know, what are we, what are we, what do we need to all talk about here so that we can then disseminate it? So that's definitely one. I'm trying to think of other business books that really jump out at me. Oh, Crucial Accountability is another one. So many folks have come across um, Crucial Conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, Crucial Accountability is another book by the same author. I can't tell you who it is right now, although the book is over there. I could go grab it. And for me, the accountability piece with the team is, is one of the most challenging. So the, you know, setting really clear expectations, getting agreement on those expectations and holding people to them. I really have struggled probably with the first two, the clarity and then the accountability, you know, you can't have the accountability if you don't have the clarity. So I would highly recommend that read for folks. I actually know uh, the person who introduced it to me said that he gave like everybody in his family as well and said, you know, here's the kinds of agreements that we are we're putting in place. And if you tell me you're going to do something and then you don't, yeah. you can't wonder why I don't trust you the next time or why I want to micromanage you the next time. Right. right. So that one, that's another good one. I love that. I mean, I have not read that one. So that just makes me so happy to get another book recommendation. And accountability is, I mean, isn't it the bane of everybody's existence? Like we actually have this, we call it, you know, narratives plus numbers, because, you know, it's like, I can look at the data, I can look at, you know, productivity or whatever the data that we've set out, but we were missing that narrative piece, you know, what is going on in somebody's life and what is happening. And so now we've really tried to normalize this narrative plus numbers so that people will, they will speak up sooner rather than later. You know, like if something's going on, they will proactively say like, my schedule is wonky this week. You know, I've got a kid having this medical problem or whatever it is. I mean, a myriad of things. But really encouraging that, you know, giving us the narrative so that we can then be making better decisions, you know, like where should we be putting a new case that's coming in with emergency deadlines? It probably shouldn't go to that person who's on her wonky week, you know? <laughs> and Yeah, no, it really, really hits home because we've been trying to kind of put together some better kind of metrics and expectations for the team. You know, the, the bane of everyone's existence in, in tracking time is we still have to track time, understanding how to balance time and balance capacity. And, and you know, when you ask folks, like, I, you know, they're like, oh, I feel busy. Okay, well, what does that mean exactly, right? What other priorities do you have on your plate other than 
one, client work, two, other firm priorities, and three, other personal things that are going on. Right. So I, I like that terminology, that narratives plus numbers. It's, I think it's a good one to, to think about. Yeah, well, and one thing also we have just recently rolled out. I have been like for years begging for this. I am not a, a good executor, though. Like I am definitely, you know, I need help. And is a case grading type system. So we have created a case matrix to address the thing you're just talking about, that capacity piece, because people will say, I'm busy. But then if I dig into the numbers, I can be like, objectively, you're not busy, or objectively, you're way busy. Like we should have hired somebody for you a while ago, or we needed to, you know, pull. So now, I've realized, at least in our firm, you cannot look at case numbers or matters and be like, okay, this person has 20 matters. This person has 25. They're not, it's not helpful in comparison because just like you mentioned, you could have a client that is way high maintenance. I mean, their matter could be more like five matters, whereas you could have 10 matters and you're barely talking to the person because they're yeah. You know, everything's easy peasy going along smooth. So we've created this entire matrix now to grade the complexity of our cases based on different factors. And so then we can look at a, a docket and say, you know, you have this many possibility of points under our matrix system and you're at this level, you know, so then we can really I mean, I'm really hoping that is going to help us be able to maintain a more even keeled of keeping people in their sweet spot, you know, where they're feeling good, they're challenged, but they're not overly challenged. And and then we also do weekly surveys. Have y'all tried that where we do a weekly survey of how do you feel like what's going on? And we look out like one week, three weeks, six weeks, you know, so they can kind of, again, encouraging that narrative piece. Like, do you have a wedding coming up? You know, that all of a sudden your schedule is going to go completely out of whack or so that's been helpful too. I mean, what do you do in that regard? Yeah, I like that. The, uh, the forward looking capacity is a challenge and we find, you know, with, with Clio uh, and the way that we do our business, we we're struggling a little bit with how to manage the tasks that way. So someone might have a larger project that is tasked at, you know, 10 hours or 15 hours. That's large for us as far as the task. And obviously they're not doing all of that task in one week. They typically probably have four or five different like milestones in that. And, but when we're looking at forward looking capacity, it's hard to say when those 15 hours are going to be applied. And so how, you know, it's, it's somewhat subjective or you need the attorney to be able to say, here's how I expect this to look. And so having them, you know, own a bit of what is their forward looking utilization or their forward looking capacity look like is what we're trying to move to is to get them to own it uh, rather than us owning it from an administrative side for them right. to say, you know, Hey, I, I, next week I have three, you know, prospective client consults, right? Um, okay. Yeah. Put that into the admin buckets for next week. So the survey is a, the survey is a good idea, and I think it's aligned with kind of what we're trying trying to do without overcomplicating right. their admin work because that's always the big thing is like how do I balance all of this admin stuff you want me to do against the client work that I'm supposed to be doing, and um, how do we streamline as much as possible that administrative burden? Oh, it. I mean, I feel that is a huge piece of what we do, and I. It's interesting because it ties to me so much to our role as parents too, where you're, 
Do you know what I mean? You're focusing on the big picture thing. You're thinking about your children. Are they going to school? How are they doing in class? Are they getting their homework done? You know, what areas need improvement? But then there's the admin, the, are they going to the dentist? Did they, you know, clean up their room? Have they done any kind of, you know, just team player part of being a family member? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to juggle all that. It is a constant, I think it's a, a constant battle of, and we probably deal with it too in our own lives. Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly. I was actually thinking about something I heard recently that was, you know, you shouldn't do for your child what they can do for themselves, right? And I know as a, first of all, I didn't hear that until much too late, obviously. <laughs> but I also struggle with it because as a, as a mom, I think you want to do more, right. right? You know, I want to be there. I want to, you know, make dinner, for instance. I want to drive them places. My son, his senior year in high school, um, he didn't get a driver's license. And so because he didn't go to the local school, he was going across town and it happened to be kind of on my way to the office. And so right. for his whole senior year, you know, I drove him to school every day and I loved it. Right. Oh, and, yeah. You know, how much, and we all know this as, as, you know, parents of older kids, like we don't get a ton of that time together. And so, you know, there are some days where, you know, we said nothing. And there are some days where the conversations went down, you know, paths that you wouldn't otherwise here. And so, you know, could I let him figure out how to take the bus to school? He could have done it. It would have been inconvenient for him. And I would have lost out on, you know, that, that opportunity. So I probably went a little bit the other way, hopefully not to the helicoptering side of the world, but, but definitely I, I enjoy doing some of that. And I think there's just this balance of right how much you're choosing to do versus how much you have to do and what they're capable of doing themselves. Yeah. And I probably was a parent that swayed the other way. Like, cause I mean, one, I had more, do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Double, triple. So, you know, there's only so much. And I was like, oh, you got to drive that one and you're going to drive that one. And, you know, I'm going to be lucky if I show up to court in clean, like that's right. my, <laughs> my yeah. story. Well, we joke because my husband, my husband said at one point to my, my eldest, he said, you know, well, when you get driver's license, you can drive your daughter, your sister around. And we're thinking that maybe that's why he chose not to get the drive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so instead, she drives him around when he's home. So <laughs> I love that. That's hilarious. Well, probably you might have done that because maybe he just decided. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm not going to be yeah. her chauffeur. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does have he does have a bend toward you know when we lived in Ireland for two years oh. when they were kind of pre pre teens. And, you know, we took the bus everywhere and walked everywhere. And I think that that maybe rubbed off a little bit on him that, you know, you should right. take transportation and a bit of that, you know, eco-friendly, you know, environmentally totally. conscious person. So that's kind of what he, you know, relies on, except when he actually needs to go somewhere and the bus is inconvenient. So now what in the world brought you all to Ireland? So my husband, uh, Matt's uh, job with Intellectual Ventures at the time, they uh, were opening their first office overseas and um, it was in Dublin and he had the opportunity to, um, to, to do a two-year stint there. And, you know, the firm was, Equinox was in a place where it could, you know, the wheels could turn without me being in the room. And so, you know, the answer is yes. Is it risky to the firm for me to go away for two years? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. And yeah. so, um, and so we did and, you know, learned a lot about the firm while I was gone. Um, again, I, you know, with technology, not gone, gone, but certainly not boots on the ground. Right. Um, and the kids, I think, got just this amazing experience of having to 
think about being different. Yeah. So, you know, on the surface, they're walking down the street in Dublin and they look pretty close to everybody else. But as soon as they open their mouth, people are like, American, right? (laughs) And with that comes the judgment, good, bad, or otherwise, there's a judgment. And so they had to, I think, process a little bit about like, how do they, you know, how do they show up um, as an American? So, so I think that was probably to me, one of the the most impactful parts of, of that that time was giving them the chance to not be kids in Bellevue, Washington. <laughs> right. I think that's amazing. I mean, I just think that's an amazing journey for you all to do that. And I mean, you were so forward thinking. I mean, at, so what years were was this? I mean, you were able to run your firm kind of at least somewhat from afar. Yeah, it was uh, 2014 to 2016. Wow. Good for you. Yeah, no, it was great. And again, you know, learned about certain gaps in, in our culture, you know, where our team needed to be, mm-hmm. certain systems. Um, so huge learning experience from that standpoint as well. But, you know, when, once you get across the pond, it's really easy to get to all the other places over there. So we did, we did a ton of traveling. And yeah, at the end, Daniel said, uh, you know, it was a church. And he said, do we have to go inside? I know it's in there already. <laughs> this one's different. He's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I promise, Mom, it's not. So, but That's well, we're yeah. well, and I this had to have helped prepare you for the pandemic. I mean, without knowing, it was preparing you for the pandemic. Yeah. Being able to run a virtual office like that, I mean, you probably had a real leg up when the pandemic hit and everything was virtual. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I didn't really think of it quite like that. We had, I think where we had maybe some benefit was we already had a an environment where people went home early, people worked on certain days, they worked from home on certain days. So there was definitely a culture of you don't have to be sitting at a desk in the office to perform. And so I think we had that flexibility built in already, which was which was great. I think there was still a, a big learning curve for you know creating you know, team collaboration, you know, how do we, how do we stay as we in that disparate environment? And I think we did, a, I think we did a, a good job with that, but I don't know that, it, you know, unfortunately I probably didn't take big lessons from, from Ireland because everybody else was still in the office at the time, but yes, I think we're fortunate and maybe most law firms would be fortunate to be able to just pick up the laptop and go home and still for the most part, be able to execute um, right. with, you know, with some, some disruptions, but generally speaking. Yeah. Um, Interesting. That is so interesting. I love that you all had that opportunity. I think it's kind of amazing. I mean, what are some just like, I mean, if you could give young moms like some tips, I mean, how on how do they succeed in their life as a mom, as well as their life professionally as they're growing their firms? I mean, what are some of the lessons you learned along the way that you'd love to share? I mean, this may be a little cliche, but I think, you know, boundaries is probably the the biggest one. Work is never going to stop, Um, whether you're in a firm or, you know, a a firm where you're an employee or your own firm, there's always something more to do and it's never going to stop. And so thinking that I just, you know, have one more hour or I really have to get this out, I have to get this done. I I think taking a step back and, and really thinking about what have to kind of means there. Yeah, and making sure the priorities of, you know, whatever those are in your life kind of come forward. You know, I use the example of picking up the kids. Like that was just something I committed to. 
And, um, and I stuck with it, but did it, you know, sacrifice evenings with my husband, you know, maybe because I was trying to catch up, you know, at that point in time where would it have mattered if that didn't get done? I think the other thing that I would, that I would say that, you know, something that I still am not particularly good at, and that is, you know, really focusing on what is that the one thing that's another book, the one thing that, you know, you need to be working on. What are the true priorities Mm-hmm. Um, and not getting bogged down in all of the stuff that's easy to do. I remember saying to someone once, like, what? No one teaches you how to be a CEO or an owner, right? Like, what does that even mean to like have a strategic planning session by yourself, right? I'm a person who really needs to kind of think out loud and need help. So, an executive coach has been really helpful for me. I'm in an organization called Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, which has been amazingly impactful in my both personal and professional development being in a room of peers and a, and a globe of peers um, that EO offers. And that's been huge. But I think it's easy to get bogged down in, you know, check the email, let's start hammering an email out when really there are you know, three big things. That if you had two hours for each of those, you could have even more impact on the business than getting those emails out. So those would be kind of two things that jump out to me is, you know, the boundaries I think I did pretty well, um, at least on some parts of my life. And then on the on the priorities, I still struggle with, you know, what is, you know, you've probably seen the matrix, right? The urgent and important um, yeah. matrix. So, you know, that I think is a really good tool as well. I can't remember what it's called. You know, is it, you know, urgent and highly impactful or, you know, not urgent and, and low impact? And so where does this fit into your priorities for the day? Do you, how do you handle your email inbox? Do you have any kind of tips or hacks on that? Like, what do you do or do you not handle it and somebody else manages it? About a year ago, I brought on an executive assistant and it actually took us a few months to figure out like how to, how to manage it. And what we ended up doing was creating a subfolder that is just for my action. So things that actually require my attention so I don't get bogged down or distracted by the, you know, dozen, half dozen, you know, five dozen other things that I could respond to that someone else could respond to instead. Right. And so that has been probably the most, the most helpful. And then, you know, just getting things moved out of there as well. <laughs> my tendency is, you know, especially like on my phone, you know, you're just sort of going through in your flag and stuff. And that creates some confusion again in our system on like, when I flag it, what does that mean? Uh, it means I need, I know I need to look at it, but so maybe that's a signal. So I think that just thinking about what requires your attention versus what can be delegated, I think it's probably one of the most important things to do. I mean, I've been working with a system. I mean, I, I don't know where the system came from. It did not come from my head. It's like a do, delegate, or delete. Yep. So I just, I mean, I never touch an email twice. Like, I mean, if I read it one time, I have to make a decision right then and there. I'm due delegating or deleting. And if I'm doing, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily doing it right then. Cause you know, maybe that's not practical, but it's going on a calendar. So, you know, if it's doing, then that means it's being sent to my executive assistant and it will be calendared so that, and you know, it has to be calendared within a certain time frame. So I know like they're all handled, you know, so that I can get through them all. Cause I find emails to be, you can go down some serious rabbit holes. In yeah. Email. yeah. Well, and something that, you know, looks like it's going to be, you know, Oh, I can do that in a couple minutes. You know, right. most, most emails are 15 minutes, right? Yeah. It's, just, it's a process. It's substantive. Right. 
So. And if it's the, some of those back and forth where you end up like you don't have all the information or you need, and I'm just like, oh my, this can turn into a whole big, <laughs> a whole big thing. Well, and, and Calendly is another one that um, that is a is a huge time saver as well. And and, and I think um, Microsoft Teams has a function that is similar to mm -hmm. it, where you basically create your calendar availability for a third party. And when you send out that link, they can then just go and choose a time, which which definitely decreases the back and forth emails. Yeah. And I, I had a friend who had, you know, the paid version of it with, you know, you could meet for lunch at the office or you could meet for lunch at this place. And so it built in the travel time in addition to if you're going to the place versus in the office and then, you know, 15 minutes between meetings, the whole like magical setup to make it really efficient. Um, I love that. Yeah, because the 15 minutes between meetings is helpful when you've got, you know, yeah, 10 back-to-back -back meetings in, in a day. And you're like, wait a minute, when am I going to have lunch? When am I going to go to the bathroom? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many days I look at my calendar. I'm like, did anybody think I needed to go to the bathroom between yeah. 7 a.m. and 6 p.m.? I'm like, because there is not one minute on this calendar that would allow wait, the bathroom. Mom, you don't need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just hold it. You're fine. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. It is so lovely to have you and to be able to see you again. And anybody who is listening to our podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on all the places you can subscribe to podcasts. And Michelle, how can people find you? So when they would like to talk to you about Equinox and how you can bring some sanity into their business worlds, how should they reach you? Yeah, thanks. Our website is equinox.law. Or you can email me at Michelle, it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E -L -L -E, at equinoxbusinesslaw.com. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, of course. I really do appreciate your time and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Is it lovely where you are right now? It's been on and off. The sun peaks out and then it goes out behind the clouds. Yeah. It is not pouring rain like it was last night. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I feel. So it's a win. It is a win. Thank sure. you so much, Elise. It was really great to be on the show and to, to catch up. Absolutely. And you have a great day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.